Slump Buster Podcast. Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Eagles, though, they're basically telling a big F you to the rest of the league as no one expected them to be perhaps the class of the NFC. You look around the NFC and you see a lot of broken teams, a lot of teams with question marks. And meanwhile, the Eagles just keep chugging along. Jalen Hurts was the biggest question mark coming into the year. And Jalen Hurts has been the answer that they've been asking for at quarterback, at least this season. We don't know what it means long term for Jalen Hurts, but at least this season, Jalen Hurts has not hindered this team in any faculty. In fact, in many ways, he's made them better. He's made them tough. He makes them tough to game plan against because of what he's able to do with his athleticism. And you add the playmakers on the outside, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And so far at this point, this Philadelphia offense has been a nightmare. Also led by a scrappy defense. Have we bought into the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, I am uh, in on the Philadelphia Eagles in the sense that I thought the Cowboys would win the division at the start of the year, and Philadelphia is clearly a better. I didn't, I didn't understand the Eagles' hype at the start of the season. Now I've seen the evidence that that understands why people were so high on Philadelphia. They are a really, really good team. And by the way, you know how uh, we always talk about the Josh Allen, like you can't teach completion and accuracy Jalen Hurts has gone from being a 52% passer to a 66% passer and that 52 was only in like four games so like small sample size last year's probably closer to what he was which was 60% completion percentage but 60% completion percentage is like slightly better than Drew Locke was with the Broncos so like to go from that to a 66% completion percent again small sample size Need need more data to to show what it is, but Jalen Hurts has looked really really good this year. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is MVP good. He's been very good. He's been a serviceable quarterback, and he has an extension coming up this off season. And if they can pay him uh, 120 million dollars, they might do it. But if they have to pay him 200 million dollars, they probably won't do it. And and it's a classic franchise tag situation. So Jalen Hurts has had a fantastic season. I, I mentioned in another video that uh. They have a plus 12 turnover differential this year, which is pl- which is eight turnovers more than the next closest team in the entire league, which probably explains how they have the number one defense in the league right now is that they are forcing a ridiculous amount of turnovers. And we mentioned that turnovers are a fluky stat, but I can buy into the turnover production from the Eagles a little bit more just because I know that they have playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. I know that that defensive line could really get after people. And I know that Darius Slay, they call him big play Slay for a reason. And I go back to that game on Monday night against the Vikings and he was making a nightmare for Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins went to bed that night dreaming of Darius Slay and his nightmares because he was everything that they wanted when they traded for him a couple of years back. Uh, now we're sort of starting to see, well, Howie Roseman <laughs> turn things around in Philadelphia, which is funny. Which is really funny, given all the shit that Howie Roseman had been getting off of the Super Bowl. Like the way people talked about Howie Roseman, we would have thought he was a bum. We would have thought he was, as you call, like uh, Shook White, uh, you know, Steve Kine. <laughs> That's the way that people kind of like talk about Roseman. It was mostly all just for, if we're gonna be honest about the Howie Roseman burying him, mostly for the misses at wide receiver. And I get it. Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager will be one of those that we always just look back on and say, damn, that really happened. But <sighs> you look at what they've done with this year's team, they still end up with a franchise wide receiver in AJ Brown and another one with Devontae Smith. Both guys have really changed how Jalen Hurts. I, I think what has contributed to Jalen Hurts' development the most is it Nick Sirianni? Is it the playmakers? Is it the offensive line play? It's a Probably more explainable by an amalgamation of all three, but the fact that the Eagles were able to identify what they needed to do to help Jalen Hurts and get him to that next step is nothing short of fantastic when you talk about what can a front office do to build around a quarterback. We had a big discussion on Kyler Murray and can the Arizona Cardinals build around him? Well, the Eagles have demonstrated if push comes to shove, they can build around a Jalen Hurts. Could they have built around a Carson Wentz? Could they have built around Nick Foles? I mean, in at least that Super Bowl run, they were able able to do it under Nick Foles. So the fact that this front office and this franchise has shown that they've been able to evolve under different quarterbacks, I I think is a true testament to what the Philadelphia Eagles organization is. Not to skip the the story there about, remember when uh, Doug Peterson tanked the last game of his Eagles tenure and there was that whole controversy because the Giants couldn't make the playoffs instead of the whatever seven, eight and one Washington team. 
Well, the difference between that victory and that loss was the difference between pick six and picks 10 in the draft. They traded down from six to 12 and got Devonta Smith. So that tank ended up netting them an extra first round pick. That first round pick, they then flipped because New Orleans uh, took that draft pick this year and uh, New Orleans moved up in the draft last year. So the Eagles are still collecting that extra first round pick from a single Doug Peterson tanked game. They got two first round picks to move down from six to to 11, originally the spot they were going to get. And they still have that extra first round pick at their disposal because they could just keep trading back. So shrewd decision making by them as well. And uh, yeah, Philadelphia has made good moves drafting and good moves trading, and uh, it, it's turned into something great. And I know you know how we talked about turnovers earlier. Yes, turnovers are signs of a sporadic defense, but there are other statistics that say the Eagles are a good defense. DVOA on defense has them ranked fifth in the NFL. Pass rush win rate, which is one of those uh, advanced analytics that gets cited all the time. They're sixth in the league. Pass block win rate, they're seventh in the league. So they have a top 10 offensive line and a top 10 defense at preventing pressures and getting pressures on the quarterback and uh, like I said their defense is ranked fifth their offense is ranked 11th in the league they're a very very good team the Philadelphia Eagles are a very very good team and they are the only team I point to in the NFC and say they are great now the 49ers health permitting are also great but they're the only team I can point to in the NFC and say hey they are as good as Baltimore Buffalo and Kansas City I mean not as much Buffalo and Kansas City but Baltimore is a good comp like they are as good as that team and they're as good as the San Francisco 49ers. And I would love to watch the 49ers play the Eagles in the playoffs. Would love to see that too, because it means the Niners made the playoffs. So I can't complain about that myself. As far (laughs) as that goes, I just hope that as you mentioned, can the 49 IRs make it to the playoffs, win the division (laughs) and compete against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a question mark that I'll have to answer. But if that matchup was to happen, I would say, unfortunately for the Niners, the Eagles do have a quarterback that tends to pose problems for the 49ers. Regardless of health, the Niners have always struggled around these more mobile quarterbacks that can shift the pocket. All gas, no breaks does tend to have its problems when you send all the gas on the blitz and break contain. And that's something the Niners have done plenty of times. And I think a guy like Jalen Hurts can take advantage of and exploit that if it comes down to that matchup. We actually saw it against Marcus Mariota this past week. Eagles do have the ability to do that, and that would cause problems in that matchup. You look against the Vikings, they show they can bully the Vikings. The Vikings aren't really a physical team. The Eagles are a physical team, and I think that that would translate to think about other playoff contenders. I think that they could probably bully someone like the Packers. We know that the Giants aren't really ready from an offensive playmaking perspective to be able to compete at that level. Ooh, Tampa. Tampa would be great. Tampa, Tampa watching that would be awesome. And you know they really would want that Tampa matchup, given what Tampa did to them in last year's playoffs. I'm sure there's a lot of guys in that locker room that look at that matchup and think of that as one of their benchmark games, right? What they can do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Eagles, they certainly are Super Bowl contenders. You have to put them in that tier just because you look at the road through the NFC and they realistically can win. And certainly, obviously, they're the number one seed. They just need to win a couple games to put themselves in that position. If they can maintain and stay as the number one seed, get that first round by, then they have the luxury to also being a Northeastern power open air stadium. They also get to play in some bad weather games too, which other (laughs) teams that don't have to deal with the conditions at that level, who knows if they're going to be ready for those type of conditions. So the the Eagles have some stuff going in their favor in that respect. And then you look across because obviously we would have to look across to the AFC and see the teams they stack up against there. Well, then you're going to have question marks. Can that defense do enough to post problems for Patrick Mahomes? Can they slow down a Josh Allen? You know, that's but any other tough. team they can. Be tight. Any, I will say any other team in the AFC they can. It's just only against Kip Buffalo and Kansas City does it not stack up for them. I, I think saw the would... Miami Dolphins put a game plan that post problems for Josh Allen. I've seen teams all last year pose a game plan that caused problems for Patrick Mahomes. So it's not impossible. It's certainly something that you can do. And hey, if you're one of those old school storyline writers, you would say Eagles, Andy Reid, Super Bowl. That might be a fun storyline to go in. And we talk about potential fun Super Bowl matchups, not to get the Philadelphia Eagles fans too hyped up. No, 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 no. don't do that. Don't do that. We're still only in week seven, y'all. But by week, this is a good opportunity to reflect and admit if we were wrong. 
I thought the Eagles were going to be able to compete within the NFC East. I didn't expect them to compete at this level, but I was wrong in the sense that I underrated them. Maybe I didn't underrate them necessarily as much as my co-host, but I did underrate the Eagles nonetheless. So I can at least <laughs> say I was wrong in that respect. I was also wrong as well. And uh, I, I think talking this out, I realized the thing that I want really badly is for the Eagles to play a team with a great defense. I would love to see what that team, and I, I'm thinking back to their schedule. I don't think they've played any great defenses this year. I know they played Arizona and Minnesota and Washington, the Cowboys, uh, Detroit, you which would is say a bad were, but I think Cooper Rush did enough to ruin the Cowboys' chances in that game. And he literally had a one QBR. One. <laughs> yeah. You know, a one, half. a singular QBR. I <laughs> I so, just want to see them play a great defense. So I you're think, not going to like some of the answers, but when they face the Giants, that is, we'll see a, a yeah, little bit from I, that I'm offense. talking about, yeah, I they think I'm talking Packers. about elite. Well, they yeah, play I'm, the Packers in a few weeks, so that's going to be another interesting game to check out. The Colts, the Colts are a really good defense, and unfortunately we don't get to read much into that game because we know the Colts' offense is awful. But the fact mm-hmm. that we get to see the Eagles offense go against that Colts defense, I think will provide potential answers for you. Uh, they face yeah. the Saints later in the year. That's really late in the year, January I, 1st. I think the thing I'm saying, though, is an elite defense. Like, these are good defenses. I think I'm talking about, like, an elite defense. And I think that's why I said the playoff matchups that most intrigue me are San Francisco and Tampa. Because those are elite defenses. Those are, I think, only behind Buffalo, the second and third ranked defense in the NFL last time I checked. So I understand. I respect the Colts defense. I, I respect Dallas's defense. I respect many of these teams. I I, I just want to see them go up against. I like how you made it a defense. point to say you don't respect the Giants, basically, by omission. Giants are ranked 21st in defense <laughs> in DVOA. Giants, Giants, are, Giants are built on their offense somehow. I don't it's understand okay. how that we're works. We're doing a video but... to attract Eagles fans here, so clearly they're not going to yeah. mind the disrespect of the New York Giants. So, hey. No, I understand. If, I understand. If you agree with us. You know, you just you know, we're, we're digging on your rival yeah. a little bit here, so just give us some love. I want to see the them play elite defense. Play, play one of the best defenses in the league. That's what I'm really interested to see for Philadelphia. Well, I, I guess we really won't see it in the regular season just based off looking on the schedule, but Nonetheless, it means good things for you as an Eagles fan because you look at the next few weeks coming off the bye, I see some wins here. You face the Steelers, you face the Texans, you face the Commanders. There's no reason to think that the Eagles can't realistically start the season 9-0, and and at that point, everything is just gravy. You're well <laughs> on your way to being the number one seed, Philadelphia. We'll see how it works out for you in the playoffs. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. The table is set. It is going to be the Houston Astros, a team that you've been high on all season, versus not the San Diego Padres. It will be the Philadelphia Phillies, as the Phillies happen to win in five games. The Astros only needed four for the third time in the Astros World Series runs. They'll be facing a NL East foe. The last two times didn't really go too well for them. Do you think they'll have better luck against this Philadelphia Phillies team? Well, the odds say that they'll have better luck against this Philadelphia Phillies team. The Astros are favored by, well, the largest amount since they lost to the Nationals in 2019 of, of any World Series team. So so certainly the, the odds are ever in Houston's favor. There are two sides to take from this with, with Houston. One of them is the 2022 Astros specifically, and then one of them is the Astros at large in terms of what can only be evaluated at this point as the best dynasty in baseball since the 1990s New York Yankees when you talk about the level of consistent six consecutive ALCS appearances four World Series obviously the one championship that will forever be put in dispute and the fact that Houston switched leagues and stole the Yankees birthrights to winning like the Astros took everything that the Yankees had as their I mean that the the Red Sox also did that but basically took everything the Yankees had a right to and, and stole their dynasty over the last six years. But specifically for this year's Astros team, just totally overwhelming cast of characters. I mean, in the ALCS, it was a different group than the guys who did it in the DS. In the DS, it was uh, Jordan Alvarez. It was Jeremy Pena. And then this time around, it was Kyle Tucker and, and big performances from Chaz McCormick somehow as, as the guy who's just a fill-in for George Springer has, has over an 800 OPS against the Yankees. It, it, and obviously the big pitching performances were the name of the game for Hugh. Houston uh, from McCullers on down to Verlander. Houston has been remarkable this season in terms of uh, 
their performances and they they coasted through the American League playoffs like I thought they would. I didn't think they'd go seven and zero, but I did think that they would coast through the American League playoffs and reach this point. Well, you can make a good argument that the Phillies almost seem to have coasted through the NL part of things. And you want to speak about dominant performances? Let's talk about that man, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has been insane this postseason. And we spoke about it again. We spoke about this about early July, late June about dark horse world series contenders and the Philadelphia Phillies have just been on a roll ever since that point. God, just be Joe Girardi right now. Just be Joe Girardi (laughs) after this run that the Philadelphia Phillies have made since taking over a 22 and 29 team. Rob Thompson has led this team to the world series and This is also a Phillies team that also was in a postseason drought. They hadn't won a series in about a decade. To come into this playoff and not only knock off the Padres, but knock off the Braves who were leading this division for a good chunk of the latter part of the year, it's an incredible run by this team. And I got to let go of like one of my preconceived notions about the Phillies is can they pitch? Can they limit what the other team can do offensively? They show that they can do that, which I think is something that I didn't give them enough credit for Uh, their rotation of Zach Willer and Noah. Although Noah had a bad performance against the Padres in the NLCS, I think that he'll be able to rebound. I, I think they have enough pitching to get by now. They're going to another hitter-friendly park in Houston. So I don't think that this offense is going to be necessarily slowed. In fact, I think this is going to be a fun offensive series between both teams' lineups. I think we're going to see the best of them. It's just really going to come down to who can get stops, who can get the other team out. And you would say the edge would, of course, go to Houston in that respect because you got Verlander, you got Framber Valdez. You have guys that have been in postseason starts. Postseason experience, I think, is going to be another factor that kind of plays into this one. I think it's appropriate that the Astros are the favorites, but we always see that team of destiny. This is what's great about October baseball, right, where legends are made. I'm seeing this Phillies team, and they just got a little bit of that magic, which would be unfortunate for the Astros because it's like, why does everyone have magic when we're just trying to win our second title in respectively five years? Yeah, and I, I want to follow up because you mentioned Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez and Christian Javier combined for 12 and a third innings of zero runs against the Yankees. And they're like the third and fourth best pitchers on the Astros because Houston just keeps making it like Zach Greinke leaves. They just find Jose Urquidy. Garrett Cole leaves, enter Lance McCullers and enter Christian Javier as as stud pitchers because Houston's incredible. You you brushed over something that I want to just touch on so that people realize just how historic of a postseason we're talking about here for Bryce Harper. In three playoff series, Bryce Harper is hitting 411. He has an on-base percentage of 444 thus far in the playoffs. OPS, he has a 1360 OPS. He has a 10-game hit streak, reached base in all 11 games that the Phillies have played so far in the playoffs. This is a ridiculous ridiculously good stretch of baseball Bryce Harper is going on and you can point to the game-winning home run in game five you could point to the solo home run that put them over the edge in game one you could point to the two-run homer that broke my heart in game four when the Padres had a six to four lead those doubles were impactful those RBIs yeah god I haven't seen a postseason performance like this in a minute and it's coming from a player that has been touted by Sports Illustrated since the age of 16 and Bryce has done nothing wrong in his career aside from being a little bit more outspoken. So to see him having this postseason is nothing short of remarkable. And I'm excited for it. And then you just look at what the Phillies were able to do in the offseason. You just appreciate those moves a little bit more to get a guy like Castellanos, to get Kyle Schwarber. Now those moves are so impactful in this postseason and a big reason why they're there. So you got to give it up to the front office and you got to give it up for the front office to be able to make that move at manager that took balls to move off of Girardi and no one could have saw this coming from them. Serious prediction. We got to get into that point of this preview. How are you feeling about it? Well, the Astros are heavy favorites and it's also baseball. So baseball's random and chaotic. What's fascinating is that like the fifth starter on the Astros, I would have argued is better than the third starter on Philadelphia. And at the same time, 
Ranger Suarez has had this breakout postseason. 27-year-old from Venezuela who was a reliever for th- for three years is all of a sudden the number three starter on Philly. And he's, I know Philadelphia's had a bunch of like stars in the postseason, but it, it's Bryce Harper. It's Sacramento's own Reese Hoskins. It's Reese Hoskins actually grew up like 15 minutes that way from where I am right now. Just fun fact. So you have Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, JT Realmuto, Kyle Schwarber. Those have been the guys who have stepped up. If you're looking for that unsung guy for Philadelphia, it's been Ray. Ranger Suarez. I'm going to take the probabilities on this one. I'm going to take the Astros to win in six, which means that they would clinch the series on their home field. This this feels like I say this all the time in basketball when we're doing analysis. This feels like an Astros in five and a half type of series, which is whether it's five or six games is semantics. The Astros will kind of cruise through most of the series would be the most probable situation. So I'll take the Astros in six and say that they will clinch the World Series on their home field for the first time in this uh, dynastic run that Houston has been on over the last six to eight years. Not a dynasty until they win a second title. It's not going to happen this year. I'm going with the Philadelphia Phillies in five games. You know what? I'm going to go balls to the wall. This Philadelphia team, they've been going balls to the wall all postseason, and I think it's going to continue into the World Series. They just got that vibe. They just got that feel. They just got that destiny in their mirror, and I I think it's going to happen. I I think that Bryce Harper is going to put himself amongst the elites of all time, but that may be a conversation for another video. Besides that, do you have any moratoriums for the Padres? Uh, I am infinitely grateful for everything that has happened in this postseason. Beating the Dodgers gave me the emotional feel of what I assume a championship will feel like. And I have nothing but gratitude and praise for this incredible moment that the Padres have given me. And again, I know this sounds like a press conference. I am genuinely overwhelmed with the incredible season that the Padres had the first in my lifetime. They had never won a home playoff game uh, in my entire lifetime. 1998 was the last time that happened. So only great things that happened to the Padres, but at the same time, oh, that Bryce Harper home run. Oh, that Bryce Harper home run just stung right in the heart in the eighth inning. We had Josh Hader in the bullpen and didn't bring him in. That one stung, but that's the closest you're going to get to any sadness. I said going in, we're playing with house money. So Nothing but love and praise for the San Diego hometown 619 San Diego Padres coming through with an incredible postseason run. Hopefully Bob Melvin feels the same and I'll also praise them because it means the Dodgers didn't make it to the World Series. They didn't even make it to the NLCS. And now I'll praise the Phillies for knocking out the Padres so I don't have to contemplate that out of the NL West rivalries. Anyway, guys. The Slowbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. So we have a little bit of a disagreement and it was over something I posted on social media. Mike Trout might finish his career statistically better than Bryce Harper in every single category. But if Bryce leads this Phillies team to a championship as the World Series MVP, he not Trout, will be the player of their generation. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the first part kind of sums it up. If he's better than Bryce Harper in every statistical category, and he won't be better than Bryce Harper in every statistical category, but if he's better than Bryce Harper in every statistical category, Mike Trout was the better player. That seems to be a pretty transparent point there, which I originally, when I sent that to you, I thought that you were going to take a shot at the Angels as a result of that, but then it turned to Bryce Harper would be the generation's greatest player i'm like wow we are living in the moment right now this is a very like we are on a train where the only thing we can see is a built on moments and mike trout has 0.0 moments what is the signature mike trout moment uh that catch he made in baltimore probably where he like bounces his hip against the wall i think that's probably the best moment a game in baltimore when i just saw bryce harper put one in the seats to end your padre season yeah, yeah, that that does count. I I just don't evaluate greatest players of their generations based on moments, I, I suppose. See, when we're talking about great players, and normally I'm not a ring counter, but when we're talking about great players and comparing them amongst each other, championships and postseason moments start to add. And if Mike Trout legitimately goes 20 years and only makes the postseason once, now I know it's not all his fault because baseball is not driven by one single player but you share some of the blame. You are part of those teams. There's something, some way in the math that's not working out to you being able to capitalize on the moments because it's not like Bryce Harper exactly had a loaded team we thought going into the year. 
the Phillies were very underrated. They were the third team in their division amongst the Braves and Mets. And yet the Phillies are here. And you would look at what brought them to this point. Well, excellent bats, of course, up and down the order. That helps. But Bryce Harper, his postseason that he's having right now, he's literally putting this team on the back. You mentioned the numbers in our World Series breakdown. His plus one point something OPS that he has to this point, the multiple <laughs> home runs, the multiple RBI doubles. If he's able to lead his team to a World Series, and we're still going into this. We don't know if what the result is going to be against the Astros, but if he's able to pull that one off, while being the driving force, it's going to be hard to ignore him whenever we're comparing careers at the end of the day. You are absolutely correct. And, and that moment is going to be the thing that resonates. Because ultimately, like sp sports are fun because of moments and emotional connections. I believe as a sports fan, you should always shoot for emotions and moments. Like that's the only thing. Like if you play for a team, your objective should be the most important thing is winning and, and the end goal should be to win a championship or personal success or whatever it is. If you're a fan and you don't have like an actual like investment personally in the success or failure of the team, you should just be shooting for moments so what Bryce Harper's delivered this postseason is moments that even I when he's doing it to my team I'm like oh my god this is absolutely amazing it's the greatest postseason run since Randy Arozarena's random postseason in 2020 where he was making $80,000 for the Tampa Bay Rays and hitting 11 homers in the playoffs but Bryce Harper having that moment is something that resonates with the sports fan and at the same time I'll go back to the same point at the beginning if Mike Trout is better than him in every statistical category or most of the statistical categories Mike Trout is the better player than Bryce Harper because I don't think that two at bats will define a career more than the thousands of repetitions that get put in consistently throughout the seasons I think that it can overweigh that because the weight of those at bats if you never have a meaningful at bat and Mike Trout, at this point, has he had a meaningful at-bat? When sports fans look at who came up in the biggest spots, they're going to look at a guy like Harper, who literally, again, that one swing in particular against the Padres is going to stick in people's minds. But there's been a lot of moments throughout this postseason. And not only that, but Bryce Harper, that's not just any home run. That's also his ninth home run in the postseason. So he's been able to do this throughout multiple years, multiple jerseys. He's shown that he's able to perform in the postseason. So it's not just a fluke. I think part of any great player is being able to have some level of postseason success. And it's not, again, just rings because Barry Bonds, why do we regard Barry Bonds as the best player of his generation? And he never came down with the championship. In the 2002 postseason, you could say, who was a driving force on that team? Clearly Bonds. Everyone's going to remember the tight end home runs that he was hitting against the Angels. It just happened that bullpen decisions cost him a ring, unfortunately. And that happens, but you can look at Bonds and you can look at his postseason numbers and say that it's not Bonds' fault. When it comes to Trout, it's just like, if you go 20 years. It, look, look at a guy like Derek Carr, right? Like Derek Carr may Oof. very well Oof. have a very good <laughs> career in the National that's, that's Football disrespectful. League. Oh, but the fact that, that he so will never make the playoffs, <laughs> it's a little disrespectful. I'm not going to lie, but it's disrespectful to Derek Carr. It's also disrespectful to his organization. Similar boats. You know, we talked about the Angels and compare them to like the Raiders. The Angels might be the Raiders of Major League Baseball Oof. in terms of team success over the last yeah. 20 years. They're probably very close if we were actually to run those yeah. numbers on who's been more pitiful as an organization. But Derek Carr will never be regarded as one of the greats, no matter how good of a quarterback he is statistically, unless he's able to get in the postseason and make some noise. Now, he may have more impact on the game as a quarterback than Mike Trout can have as a center fielder and outfielder and a general hitter. And now he's starting to hit that tail end of his career that we don't know what his numbers will turn out in the long run. Harper at least seems to be, when he's healthy on the field, trending in a positive direction in terms of his numbers and production. So let's talk about the numbers. Bryce Harper currently sits at 285 career home runs versus Mike Trout. Mike Trout is currently sitting at this point today at 350. So he's got him beat by about 50. You can take out some of the injury seasons there for Harper. That's probably one of the big things why he hasn't really caught up to him. He is obviously younger than Mike Trout. So he has a little bit more opportunity to keep going. MVPs, we talked about counting hardware a little bit. So three-time MVP is Mike Trout. You have a two-time MVP in Bryce Harper. Mike Trout, again, I, I just feel like he's going to get hurt 
on the superlatives. People just haven't seen him in those big spots. Well, at the same time, let's let's talk about some of the other statistics beyond those two, which is Mike Trout's career war is double that of Bryce Harper. Wins above replacement for Mike Trout is sitting at 82. Bryce Harper's sitting at 42 currently. And I know Mike Trout's had a couple extra seasons than Bryce Harper to get those numbers. Mike Trout is has nearly 40 more wins above replacement. And for, for reference for people who don't know, if you're between like 50 and 70, that's a Hall of Fame baseball player is like the, the ballpark reference. There are people in the 40s who have gotten in. There are people, there, there are a handful of 30s who have gotten in. But for the most part, 50 to 70 wins above replacement is a Hall of Famer. Mike Trout's already at 82 wins above replacement. Mike Trout's OPS plus, which the league average is about 100. He's 178 for his career. Bryce Harper is 148 for his career. So that's a 30 point improvement there. And Mike Trout is one of the greatest defensive players of his generation. And this is not to diminish Bryce. Harper as a player by any stretch of the imagination. They are the two best players at this time uh, for like the era of people who like hit their primes between 28 and 33. Mike Trout's just this great test because there have been players who are all time great who don't make the playoffs consistently. Ken Griffey Jr. made the playoffs like twice in his entire career, but it's rare that this is the undisputed best player in baseball for five to six years. And his team has been so poor. And baseball is the one sport where this can happen because the the value of a great superstar in baseball is not equal to that of a quarterback in football where like Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs can get rid of Tyran Matthew. They can get rid of Terry Kill. They can get rid of Daniel Sorensen. They can get rid of all of those players that they've gotten rid of over the last two years and still have the number two offense in football. That, that concept just doesn't exist in baseball because one single player can't have the same impact on the sport one because they only bat every nine times in the rotation and also a singular player in baseball the difference between Mike Trout and Trent Grisham is like one hit every 10 at bats like it's such a thin margin within baseball not only that like players just can't have that singular impact so Mike Trout really tests the case of like can the greatest player ever come from a team that never makes it because eventually the player switches teams eventually the player has a situation where the team just messes around and makes the playoffs and that just hasn't happened for Mike Trout because of one the Angels ineptitude and two Mike Trout's just re-signed with the Angels he likes living in Los Angeles he's a very low-key guy and that was just the thing that he wanted to do and the Angels have failed him at every turn as you and I have talked about over and over you describe it as baseball hell which I would classify as Pittsburgh but it's kind of the same idea like like that the organization has just failed him at every single turn. Again, why the Angels are baseball hell, for those that don't know my theory, is because hell is based on ironic punishments. What's more ironic than gain two all-time greats in your franchise, in your building, signing all these high-priced veterans who, in theory, should work, former MVPs, a guy who literally hit 700 home runs this year, but yet you still can't make the postseason. How ridiculous is that? What kind of cosmic <laughs> treadmill is it like to be an Angels fan and have to continuously go through this? This is Homer eating in hell. Like, keeps getting the donuts, keeps getting the donuts. Oh, you like donuts? Let me just feed them on a conveyor belt. This is the ironic punishment that is being an Angels fan. You get to see all-time greatness like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, but you never get to see the greatness of team success that we're seeing with Bryce Harper. And I think that if you're baseball, you almost wish that Mike Trout could have the career right now that Bryce Harper's having in the sense of who's been the more exciting player too? Who's been the poster well, boy for Okay, so, so for this baseball? is the difficult part because this is another part of the change in baseball. Even going back to talking about Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez and people from when I was a very, very young child and you were at least old enough to remember the 2002 World Series run is that baseball has become such a region sport that if you don't live in the market where the team is playing, you're probably not watching a whole lot of Mike Trout unless you are one of these super baseball fans who really, really loves following the sport that the, the casual baseball fan, shall we say, is is not watching Mike Trout, is not watching Bryce Harper unless they make it to the playoffs. And that's part of the regionalization of the sport is that we see all these numbers for Mike Trout. We see all the highlights yeah. of Mike Trout but we're not actually watching him play baseball. I think I may have misspoke. I meant to say that I think baseball wishes that Mike Trout, what was what Bryce Harper is. You know, we go back to his rookie year. That's a clown question, bro. Everyone's putting that on t-shirts. Iconic moments in the home run derby when he was able to take down the home run derby champion, which is something that's really big in baseball. And one of the big things that fans enjoy 
And now we're seeing him have this postseason. When we talk about comparing these guys when their career's all said and done, if I have hardware for Harper and I have multiple MVPs and their numbers kind of look the same at the end of the day, like maybe Bryce is just a tick below, it's going to be hard for me to have Mike Trout above Bryce Harper in the all-time rankings because we always talk about it with Hall of Fame discussions, right? Can you tell the story of the respective sport without such player? One of the big reasons a guy like Philip Rivers is probably not a Hall of Famer for me is because I feel as though there's a lot of Philip Rivers that have come and gone. He's going to go down as more of a stat compiler. Uh, Matt Ryan, I think he's more of a Hall of Famer because he'll have the hardware. He'll have the big game moments, uh, the NFC title games. You're hurting That's my heart. That Don't Rivers, do that to Philip. Don't do that to I gotta Phillip. Do it to Phillip. He played the an AFC that, championship game with a torn ACL. The fact that he's had all these loaded teams and was never able to ascend to anything greater is going to hurt his legacy to me. Again, Trout has had loaded teams. He's had other talent in the building, but I just think that if we're going to get to the point where we're a 15, 20 year career, you got to give me something. You got to give me something more. We're building Mount Rushmore's. Talked about Derek Jeter's career versus each rose. They're probably similar, but at the same time, since Jeter was able to pull down those championships, those meaningful at-bats, his career is just always going to be looked on more favorably, even if some someone is like the better player. I mean, we talk about like the gold glove argument with Jeter all the time, right? Uh, there's probably other better shortstops, but the fact that Jeter had the iconic 360 throw kept him in the gold glove discussion or it's baseball's a little bit of storytelling, a little bit of play. And the fact that Mike Trout hasn't really been able to tell a good story throughout his career, it's like being in a good movie that doesn't really like have a satisfying conclusion. I feel like that's what Mike Trout's career may turn out being. So that part's interesting. And you also said like, if their numbers are comparable, if, if we refer back to the original tweet, you're talking about if Bryce Harper is worse than him in every statistical category was the well, worse original to be point. Like one home run, you know, you're still technically worse in a certain yeah, category. I'm just Bryce Harper will never catch Mike Trout in war. There's going to be a huge gap. There. There's going to be a huge gap in OPS plus there's going to be a huge gap in defense. I mean, even there's going to be a huge gap in home runs probably at the end of their career and runs batted in and Mike Trout's going to get 3000. I mean, Kershaw might have better numbers than Verlander, but because Verlander was able to come up bigger in the postseason, at least one postseason run in 2017 where he was four and one, I'm going to look more favorably on Verlander's career than I will look at Kershaw's career. That's kind of a personal evaluation thing because you can plug numbers into a computer and get an answer and, and that will tell you who the best player of all time is. I think that's what a lot of people are doing with Mike Trout. Now they have memories that they enjoy watching with Mike Trout. It's just, it's not exactly the same. And I guess for me, when it comes to the whole, like yeah. okay. he doesn't have moments situation, it's like, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. Just because seasons keep going on, it doesn't make it any more his fault. Like it, it nothing's not changing your fault there. for only so long. Like at a certain point, that just feels like an excuse. Fair or not, it, it just well, feels like an excuse. My question would be, what's changing? Is it just that time is going on? Because the circumstances haven't changed. The Angels have brought in different players. They've spent different resources. They've, they have Shohei Otani now. Listen, we is saw it just... the Guardians in the postseason this year. The Guardians team we thought was tanking. You're telling me you can't even... We saw the playoffs expand. Mm -hmm. And again, is, is this just purely an organization? What if we really analyze these home runs? Is it easier to hit home runs when you're 20 games back in the standings and no one gives a shit? Or is it harder to hit those home runs whenever it matters? Bryce, you know, here in this eighth inning, you're down a run and you need to put one in the bleachers. Sometimes not having a pressure environment, it's easier to coast your career. It feels like he's coasting. It feels like that signing, that extension he signed with the Angels is him saying, I'm satisfied with a mediocre ending to my career. Because the well, yeah, but that's that's a team. damned if that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Because if he goes to another team, it's going to be like, oh, look at you coasting along with this team. But if you play with the angel, like that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. See, I just I, I feel I think like that... though Bryce kind of rebuked that when he signed with the Phillies because now he's over there leading the charge for this Phillies team. Yes, but it took four years of missing the like Bryce Harper hasn't been to the playoffs in five seasons, and it, in a non Mike Trout world, that's a really long playoff drought. Like Bryce Harper would be classified with the group of like, hey, this guy doesn't make the play, but it doesn't matter in baseball. Baseball is the one sport where no matter how much money you spend on a player, one player can't turn the tides for you. And this has always been the case. It's just 
the best players of this generation happen to not be because also the gap is widening between the haves and have nots in baseball. Like the, the difference between teams at the bottom and teams at the top has never been wider than it has been, I think, since like the 1970s. It, it's interesting that conversation because Bryce Harper hasn't been to the playoffs in a long ass time. And the first time he gets there, he delivers the one year moment that for you puts it over the top is just the one. Give me one postseason run and that give will me get it one postseason run for Mike Trout. I just need to see that he can do it not turning in the assignment it just won't be good enough when i'm evaluating his entire totality of his career i need to at least see that he could do it and it was purely the angels that let him down i need but, to see him the we know it's the angels that, that let him down you and i both know that's the case there's the, the evidence doesn't tell us that there's anything other than this is the angels fault and just because it keeps going on year after year doesn't change the fact it would be nice to change the the conversation to like well the one consistent is mike trout but no we we know the evidence is that it's the angels fault it's the angels ineptitude and have failed and have failed him at every turn that's the reason that this has happened and just because it's gone on problem. long enough doesn't he, mean it's trout goes fault. down if he goes down today retires it's over for mike trout his postseason batting line will be 083 267 mm -hmm. ops and a 0.33 slug. But that's one for 12. That's one, that for, is 12. one for 12. But it, it, that would be the only <laughs> reference point of Mike Trout as a postseason player, Mike Trout and clutch moments, Mike Trout when the games matter. And that would be an indictment on him. If again, Bryce number, the number, Bryce Harper, the numbers are somewhat comparable. And Bryce has this run. This it's, run is, I, is world changing for Bryce Harper. I, I don't think a singular postseason run can do that. I don't think it's physically Madison, possible. Listen, Madison Bumgarner, if it wasn't for the postseason, he would be just a bum. Madison Bumgarner <laughs> would be a bum if it wasn't for his postseason success. Like, oh, yeah, at, it's going to uh, help. It's going to help we, his Hall of Fame we, case yes, for sure. The fact where we can even talk about Madison Bumgarner as a Hall of Fame level player despite that he didn't really even have the longevity or the counting stats are not going to look great but i can look at those three postseasons in fact that one postseason where legitimately he put the giants on his back <laughs> the rotation for the giants was awful the this <laughs> philly's batting order is since being sensational this postseason but bryce his impact is felt. His impact is felt in every single one of these games. Putting that in a historical context like he did the other day of he's outperforming a postseason Ryan Howard. It, it, it really oh, kind of encapsulates that th this is more than just a flash in the pan. And if the Phillies come down with hardware and again, he's the World Series MVP, if I'm building a Mount Rushmore, I would have Bryce ahead of Mike Trout. So I think that's true. I think we can put postseason performances within the context to elevate the career of a player. It just doesn't have to come at the expense of a player who, again, is is clearly better than him in most statistical categories. I think if both we're of those talking things about rankings, man, you it, rankings are very simple. You have to put one <laughs> ahead of the other. It may not be your preferred system, but we all do it. Yeah, that we always have internally a one, two, three. Some people have a 1B, some people do the tiers. <laughs> but it doesn't, yeah, you're right, but it doesn't make it true. It doesn't, it, it just makes it so that it's true for someone else. It doesn't necessarily if I, go if along with the evidence. my grandkids 50 years from now, who would I rather have bases loaded, game seven, <laughs> World <laughs> Series? It would probably Bryce Harper because I know he could do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would say no, but just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean that it can't happen. But the, but also that's just this is the like evidence tells the religion us that, of Mike Trout. It's not necessarily that it's a religion. It's like I suspect that if he got the opportunity, it would look something like that. If you gave him, say, Jose Altuve levels of postseason at bats, Mike Trout would probably have a pretty incredible resume when it comes to playoff baseball. I just don't have the evidence that confirms nor denies it, but that doesn't subtract from Mike Trout's career because, again, it's not Mike Trout's fault. None of it is Mike Trout's You're fault. You're chasing Sasquatch here, man. You're chasing a big foot. You're chasing no, a Yeti. No, you're correct, and I don't need it in order to look at Mike Trout and say Mike Trout has been the best player in baseball for five to six years on an unprecedented level. All of his statistics are beyond even the greatest of greats that you can point to. He he beat Jeff Bagwell, who's a Hall of Famer. He beat his career war in six seasons. Like Mike Trout is so far and away the best player 
or he was, he's not anymore, but he was for so many years, far and away the best player in baseball. And it's something that he's the first player of my generation, of course. And Bryce Harper's right there with him where they both came in the league right around the time when I was really starting to get into sports as like a nine, 10, 11 year old. So this is like the first generation of baseball players where I've seen their entire careers play out. And we have data that tells us, even though I can't speak for players who were born before me, we have evidence that suggests that within the context of the last 10 years, uh, Mike Trout is far and away the best player in baseball. And again, to your original tweet, if he finishes with better statistics than Bryce Harper in every measurable category, end of conversation, he is a better player. There is nothing that Bryce Harper could do postseason assignments. The whole picture, though, I I need the whole story. Yes, I think you're correct, and I think that when we're talking about the statistics being what they are, Bryce Harper can have an incredible postseason run, like he's having totally unprecedented, except for when Randy Rosarena did it for some weird reason a couple years ago. Yes, Bryce Harper can elevate his own career, and also it won't be enough to overcome the statistical gap that he and Mike Trout possess because. Again, Bryce Harper is probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would assume if not first ballot, he'll get in on the second ballot, like kind of like what Trevor Hoffman had a couple of years ago. Like Bryce Harper is incredible. I feel as though we're having the same disagreement that baseball fans are having all over the world of stat sheets versus what you can see with your eyes. And I feel as though the fact that I can point to tangible evidence with Bryce Harper is enough for me to say that if he gets it done, if I have that image of Bryce Harper leading the charge to a world series team then that's enough for me to leapfrog him over because analytics analytics it's it's tangible evidence at a certain point well it's tangible evidence that you can see in the postseason when you're watching like mike trout has thousands of baseball games of evidence that you can watch you can see what happens it's thousands of meaningless games in the grand scheme of things But if those games are meaningless and baseball playoff games are incredibly meaningful, which by the way, they are like the stakes on regular season baseball is nothing. And the stakes on postseason baseball is everything. It's why the sport is has an awesome playoffs and an irrelevant regular season. That doesn't mean that the regular season games are totally irrelevant in terms of magnifying like the players themselves. It just means they have no stakes to them. But it doesn't mean that that's also not where you make your money and where the, the baseball players are playing, again, 162 of these baseball games compared to Bryce Harper, who's had an 11-game really, really good stretch. Like, we have not just a 1,000. We have thousands of games of sample size for what these two players are. And I would point to that as being a more tried-and-true evaluation of who the best is uh, compared to Trout and Harper's postseason statistics. And like you said in the original tweet, if Mike Trout finishes better than Bryce Harper in every statistical category. I think that those thousands of games, literally thousands represent a better sample size compared to the incredible postseason run by Bryce Harper, which will elevate his career, just not to the level of we will throw out thousands of games of statistics in order to make you the best player of your generation. All right. Now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. So Carolina Panthers traded away Christian McCaffrey and with an interim coach, no more McCaffrey, no more Robbie Anderson, turning down two first round picks for Brian Burns. Any player on the team could be traded by the time this video comes out. Carolina Panthers with PJ Walker, XFL legend PJ Walker put up a 21 to three victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are currently three and four and also first place in the NFC South, because even though Tampa has had a catastrophic start to their season, the NFC South has provided no alternatives in terms of teams that will prevent them from winning the NFC South. So Juju, I turn it over to you. What do you make of everything that's going on uh, in Tampa Bay thus far? I make that I'm very confused by it, but I'm wondering what I should be confused about. Because I look at the Tampa Bay Bucks and I ask myself, What is the biggest issues with this team? And I'm guessing the offensive line has to be the biggest pressing need for them in terms of fixing this roster or trying to fix it. But the problem is you you usually don't find starting caliber offensive linemen on the NFL trade market. So I don't see that getting any better for them. 
I don't know if Tom has enough juice to be able to get Gronk to unretire. So that's a big problem for the team not having his presence. Is it Tom being broken? Is is Tom washed? That, I guess that's the biggest question that people are going to be asking. After seeing that throw to Mike Evans, it's hard for me to say that Tom ability-wise has fallen off. He clearly still has arm talent to be able to make the necessary throws. And I think that he's been able to do that. He threw 49 times in that game against the Panthers. You're changing over the coaching staff, um, at least Bruce Arians at the top. And while I know that Leftwich took more control of play calling, Bruce Arians, him not being in that sideline, I'm sure has a little bit of an impact. I, I think that we kind of underrated that stuff early on. And now we're starting to see that really come to fruition because we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that they struggled offensively against the Panthers because they've been struggling for weeks anyway. I think that a loss against the Panthers like they did, this three-point performance that they had, just kind of recontextualizes just how bad the Bucks' offensive struggles have been. Yeah, and offensive line is going to be the biggest concern there. Uh, I, I agree with you. Not to say that the receiving court isn't absolutely decimated for Tampa because Gronk retired. Cameron Brait went down with the injury last week that looked pretty gruesome. I, I actually didn't follow up on what his injury status was. I just kind of felt like he wasn't going to be back for a while. The, the second leading receiver for the Buccaneers was a guy named Cade Otten this week, which again, like it's just a made up person. That's just like Cyril Grayson. Cade Otten is just a made up person in that roster. And Obviously, they had Godwin, they had Evans back, Leonard Fournette went out. It's just, it's been a cavalcade of injuries, but I think also the thing that we should bring up, and this is why I think like their struggles aren't as surprising to me, which is Tom Brady doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be there. He retired to go to Miami. He got Bruce Arians fired. Tom Brady does not want to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's going to leave after 2023, possibly continue his career, Possibly not. He simply does not want to be there. Oh, okay. So are you accusing Tom Brady of sabotaging their season? I'm not saying he's sabotaging their season. But I'm saying it's are. hard to be. No, I'm the conclusion I'm drawing is it's hard to be invested when you don't want to actually be there. Like when you are not happy in the position that you are, it's hard to invest in a team that already has these other problems that we talked about. It's not that he's actively doing malicious stuff to make their season worse it's just the same thing if you've i mean i've read the book by seth wickersham about the patriots that last year in new england he was basically saying what the f am i doing every time he was trying to fight back from injury and he had a worse qbr than mitchell trubisky and he felt like the offense wasn't working in his favor and i'm seeing all the same patterns happen now except we have the context because he left new england and again actively retired and his condition of coming back was that the coach got fired and i think he just would have been better off if playing at all this year he would have been better off just going to another team it's just it's hard to get yourself up and invest when you know that you don't actually want to be with the team that you're playing for and you're already thinking about where your next move is going to be so what should tom brady do or what should he have done well what should he have done was not signed that two-year extension after winning the Super Bowl because he would have given him the flexibility to walk away after the fallout with Bruce Arians and the power struggle between them that ultimately led to Bruce Arians getting fired as a condition of Tom Brady's reinstatement. It seems like he would have been happier had he retired. I don't know exactly what this season is doing to him mentally because I'm not Tom Brady. I don't understand the whole psychology of going through a divorce, retiring and unretiring, not wanting to play for the team that, you know, at 45 years old, it's it's already fallen apart physically. And just the idea of being a 45-year-old quarterback, it's hard for me to put myself in the perspective of Tom Brady. I just have the evidence that says, hey, he doesn't want to play in Tampa. He retired to go play in Miami. And then when he came back, he's just like, ah, I guess I kind of have to go back to Tampa now contractually. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that wake up and go to jobs that they don't like, but still perform admirably. Are you accusing them of basically quiet quitting? Is that the phrase that's getting thrown around on LinkedIn these days? Um, it's not quiet quitting. It's that having an incredibly deep and strong offensive line and just being able to sign Gronk and Antonio Brown makes your life a whole lot easier at 43 and 44. And when you take away that safety blanket, 
it's not going to look as pretty. It's not like Tom Brady's been like catastrophically terrible this year. It's not like he's been Jacoby Brissett level numbers. He's just been a below average NFL quarterback, which by the way, is what Tom Brady was that last year in New England when he had his falling out with the Patriots. It's just really difficult to play football when you don't want to be in the situation that you're in. It's a little different in this respect. In 2019 with the Patriots, we can point to those skill position players on the outside for Brady and legitimately say that those guys were pretty awful, right? That was Nikhil Harry in his rookie year. That was, I think they had Jacoby Myers maybe there. Maybe they had a Braxton Berrios, receivers like that, guys who are <laughs> Philip Dorsett. That, that was a lot of the Patriots receivers towards the tail end. I, I think that it's important to still say he does still have Godwin. He still does have Evans. And when Evans lets him down like he did today with that drop, that's, that's going to be an all-timer drop for Mike Evans because that, that was wrap him in a blanket, put him away. He still has those players. It, it just flipped. Uh, and now you look at the offense line versus the Patriots offensive line in 2019. We always accredited Tom Brady with his ability to do more with less. And now I still feel as though losing Gronk isn't nothing. Losing three starting centers before the season even starts isn't nothing. There are reasons to be concerned. I, I just don't think you could look at the Bucs. And I picked them very early on as my Super Bowl team. They'll probably still win the South. I think that that's obvious, right? That they should still win the South in theory because despite the Panthers beating them, we know the Panthers aren't a better team. The Panthers have no recourse to get better towards the tail end of the season because they literally are on their third quarterback. They traded away their biggest offensive weapon and their defense can't carry them unless they just have a Philadelphia Phillies type run in them in terms of firing a head coach and moving (laughs) to the interim guy. Uh, You look at the Atlanta Falcons. I like Arthur Smith and what they're doing there. I like their ability to run the ball, but Marcus Mariota, we agree, is a limited quarterback. Their defense has been hit or miss, although they had an opportunity to come back on the Buccaneers early in the season. And then in New Orleans, they have a whole mess going on of what do we do with Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. Either way, they don't have a quarterback that they really trust at all. They have improved playmakers for them on the outside. Their defense is still good, but has fallen off, has regressed. I think it's important to note that the New Orleans Saints defense isn't the Saints defense that you advertise coming into the year. They are not playing at that same level. In fact, they've been burned multiple times in the secondary. So there's no clear challenger in division. So now we start looking around the NFC. Uh, The NFC has been a mismatch of teams. You, You look at the Eagles, who are probably the truest team in terms of success and being able to week in, week out, give you a consistent level performance. Uh, the Buccaneers might match up well from them based off what they're able to do defensively. It's just, can they figure out what they are able to do offensively? The Niners, I don't know what to make of the Niners after their performance against the Chiefs. Uh, the defense that was dominating people four weeks through came back and just allowed 40 points pretty much unanswered by Patrick Mahomes. And then you look at the Packers. I mean, the Packers are on this three-game losing streak. I should mention the Minnesota Vikings first, but the Minnesota Vikings are coasting to the nfc north title the packers who will be in that wild card hunt (laughs) the packers have just as many question marks as the bucks yeah so this is the interesting part about that because again i'll I'll point out the the average qbr for an nfl starting quarterback is about 90 tom brady has a 93 this year so he's playing above average he's ranked 14th in qbr that the people he's equal to are jared goff kirk cousins and Justin Herbert with torn rib cartilage. That's that's what Tom Brady's playing at. This so let's year. talk about the expectations here because, okay, if they're on a course to be the number four seed, be the division winner of the NFC South, at the five seed right now, that it's would be Dallas. the Giants, right? Oh, well, yeah. The Giants guess... currently at their six and one mark, and the Giants were going to be at the hunt. At this point, it's inevitable. The Giants will probably be in the postseason worst as a seven seed just because they let's let's assume it's Dallas. Let's assume Dallas will have a better record than the Giants at the end of the season. That feels like a safe bet, not a guaranteed bet, but a safe bet that the Cowboys will have a better record at the end of the year than the Giants. Okay, against Dallas, we saw how that matchup played out in week one. Buccaneers defense whomped. (laughs) <laughs> the Dak led Dallas Cowboys offense, albeit Dak, of course, suffered his injury in that game. So we know that they can at least win that matchup. We know that that's something. Let's assume in the case of the Giants, let's say the Giants were able to get there. Limited offense. So if you're the Buccaneers defense, that's an opportunity for you to take advantage of the limited Giants offense. 
Um, and defensively, they might cause issues based off these early season results we're seeing from the Buccaneers. But you should be able to get the slight edge in that game based off that. So they might be able to at least win a playoff game. Okay, we get into the second round, right? If they are, in fact, the four seed, and let's assume, let's go chalk. Let's say all the division winners win in wildcard weekend, which won't happen. But we'll, let's say that happens. Then they would go into this matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. Can they win that fun. matchup? It'd be fun. I think Philadelphia matched up against an elite defense would be great. And Tampa is an elite defense. They have a really, really good defense and they have an average offense. Who does that sound like? San Francisco. And the thing I've been saying all year is how ironic is it that Jimmy Garoppolo is doing Tom Brady better than Tom Brady right now, which is kind of funny that that's how that worked out because the 49ers are, they both have average offenses. The 49ers just have a better defense than what Tampa Bay has. And both of them are really great defenses. We'll it's see. just... We'll see. I mean, I haven't seen the Buccaneers defense allow 40 like the Niners did today. Tampa is a really, really good team defensively, and their offense is about average. And again, you could bet on the correction of what Tampa is, but this is closer to what Tampa is than that Super Bowl run in 2020. Like that season, Tampa was the third best team in the NFC. They they were not as good as the Packers and they were not as good as the Saints. And I know they beat both of them in the playoffs. They were just crazy aberrations that they ended up winning those games. That still drives me insane. Wait, they had an results. incredible... Doesn't matter. They, look, they had an incredible second half of the season, blah, blah, blah. Like Tampa, the first half of the year with Tom Brady and last year's team and this year's team is closer to what this Tampa team is, which is a very good, not elite team in the NFL. And they are a team that this year I point to them and say they're in that group of the second tier, which is the very good, the playoff teams. They do some things very well and there are clear shortcomings on the team. And I, I think that Tampa is a team that for myself is a tier below San Francisco and Philadelphia and also is going to win a lot of games this season in the regular season, get either the third or fourth seed, depending on, you know, semantics and probably tiebreakers and stuff. Every little loss like this is going to make the schedule a little bit weirder for Tampa going forward. Do you see this offense breaking out at any point, or you think this is just kind of what the Tampa Bay offense is the rest of the season? I don't think Tampa is going to have a game where they go for 42 points like they did against the Falcons or they did against, uh, I think it was, who was it? I think it was Detroit a couple years ago. Um, who is that team that they played like right after they came so out? So a couple years perform- a couple of years ago performance to clarify because against the Falcons, obviously they only scored 21 uh, a couple of so, Sundays. So yeah, the, 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 it was, uh, I think it was Detroit a couple of years ago. They came out of their bye week and re- remember when they won the Super Bowl, they, they had their bye week and then they went eight. No, for the rest of the season, right after the bye week, I think they played Detroit and scored 35 points in the first half. Like it's not going to look like that where they just, they're not going to do what the Bengals did to the Falcons this week. They, their offense is not that level of explosive, um, but it's going to be good enough to get them by. And I think, uh, I think San Francisco is the best comp you're going to find for what Tampa is this year, which is an offense that struggles to get 20 points. So looking through their schedule, there's not really a soft landing spot in terms of a stretch of games to get their offense right. Because they play the Ravens next week. Ravens secondary has been shoddy at points this season, but I don't think they're bad enough to say they're an easy matchup for the offense for the Buccaneers to start getting things going. They play the Rams after that. They face the Seahawks. Again, bad defense, but the Seahawks have found a little magic in the bottle. I think we've started to hit the point in the season two where we can't just sleep on what the Seahawks are doing. The Browns still well-constructed defensively. They still can pose issues. The Saints, we know what that defense has done to Tom Brady in the past. I don't see any reason for that to necessarily change. Niners, if they can get right, the Niners are part of their schedule. Bengals, who have just been locked down in the second half of games, that defense has been one of the better underrated stories in the league. Cardinals have an opportunity. Panthers have an opportunity. And Falcons. So I will say, okay, that would be it, right? Soft landing part of their schedule. If they can get right, stay in playoff contention, win your division, start getting right by the time you face the Cardinals late December, then you have the opportunity to mistake you're wrong and play well against this Panthers team end the season and do the same against the Falcons. So they have an opportunity to actually build momentum heading into the playoffs. That's actually something that I think shouldn't be slept on in terms of can this offense fix itself? It just over this next five games, I don't see an offense that's necessarily going to be in rhythm. I, I see a lot of matchups that compose 
different types of faults for them. That may be one of the big talking points in terms of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I, you say like getting it fixed. I don't think there's anything to fix. I think this is this is what it is at this point. It's not three points against the Panthers, but again, if Mike Evans catches that touchdown, it's ten points. It's seventeen points. Who knows you, what happens after that? You could that. do more. You clearly can do more because again, this is the points they've can been they? able to put up throughout. You you have to think that you can do more based off again. You still have solid skill position players in Evans and Godwin. You still have a running back at Leonard Fernand, and you still do have Tom Brady. The offensive line is questionable, but you should still be able to put up more than 19, 20, 12, 31 against the Chiefs in comeback mode, 21 against the Falcons. Juju, I don't don't think so, man. 21 against the Panthers. I don't think they can do it. I don't think that's this team. You don't team. think they can be more than a 21 point per game team? No, I don't think so. And but again, scoring is down. This is the second lowest scoring output since 2000 in the NFL across the league. Like everyone's offense is down compared to past seasons because of the way defenses are playing too high safeties and daring you to run and throw short and intermediate more often. So 21 this year is not the same as 21 in the past couple of years, but at the same time, no, I, I don't. I don't think Tampa's that team. I think Tampa's a team that's going to scrape to get twenty points a game, and the strength of their team is going to be winning those seventeen to fourteen type of slugfests, which they can do because their defense is better than most of the defenses in the NFL. I, I, I genuinely think not the Panthers game. I think the past few weeks is closer to what the team is, and I know that's weird because it's a Tom Brady team, but the evidence over a not huge sample size, but a relatively good sample size of seven yeah, games. We're suggests, at seven games. We, we know what, yeah, we, we know more or less we're not, where the team stands. We're not going to get, we're not going to get much better evidence unless the team totally like changes on a dime and everyone gets healthy and they sign someone or trade for someone like, yeah, I, I don't think that's this team. I think this is an average offense that fights to get 17 to 20 points a game it's it's an average offense that's built on their strong defense and again i think that the 49ers do it better than they do it in terms of like their roster construction and doing that style of having a really good defense and an offense that just gets them by i think the 49ers do it better than the tampa bay buccaneers do it and that's kind of the the territory that tampa finds themselves in